We're going to finish Habakkuk today, and there's going to be guys coming down the aisles. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We will give you a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that one. Um, If you're getting one of our Bibles, Habakkuk is on page 508. You can also find Habakkuk on the same page. We'll do that. Uh, Just a heads up, if you're in the conference center, you may have already noticed that one of the screens is not down. Um, Luckily, it's not my good side, so you'll be fine there. Um, Habakkuk, page 508. We're going to wrap this up. Uh, Why are you hands raised? We'll get them all out. Swim season's about here. You guys excited for that? People are like, no. Our pool's like at a two-lap temperature. You get in, you swim two laps, you're good to go. It's, uh, you'll be used to it by then. But coming from Iowa, it's, I still pinch myself to feel like i got a swimming pool in my backyard. I know it's not a big deal around here, but I am th- sometimes I just go out and sit by my pool. I still just to say my pool. I feel really important about that. But we go, well, kids are swimming already. And before we moved down here, we'd always take our kids to the city pool, um, and they loved that. And, and I would come over on my lunch break and play with them. And I had all little kids, um, so they would want to play in the shallow end or the, the baby pool, which was like six inches of water. So I looked like a beach whale playing with my kids. It was not pretty, pouring buckets of water on me. Uh, so we, uh, as the selfish dad that I am, I would always try to talk my kids into, let's, like, let's go to the deep end, right? Let's go, let's go play down there. Um, and I would win that argument. We would go to the deep end. And you've heard these stories before, but I would get in the deep end and I would want, like my three-year-old and four-year-old, I would want them to jump into my arms, right? And it's just, you've heard illustrations like this. It's an amazing picture of a kid trusting their dad. But let's, let's look at that illustration from the kid's point of view. I mean, take the dad out of the picture for a minute. They can't swim. They're standing at the edge of a pool that's the deep end. If this goes wrong, it's like a suicide jump, right? <laughs> And my father is telling me to do it. Like, ah, come on, you know. It's, this is a scary, potentially deadly situation. But because dad is there, it kind of changes the situation. Well, so here's where we're going this morning. If we really believe our Heavenly Father is there, we, we really believe our Heavenly Father is in control, call it faith, it changes how we enter tough, scary, even deadly situations. So we're going to see that in Habakkuk. And, and here's the thing. We will all enter tough, scary, and even deadly situations. It's a promise. Jesus said, in this world, you will have what? Trouble. Yep, you're going to have trouble. It's coming. But anybody know the next line? But take heart, I have overcome the world. It's like, you're going in the deep end, right? It's happening, but but I'm in the deep end, and I'm standing. And and we've all been there, but there's situations, it's still the deep end, right? Situations where I can't touch. I don't feel in control. Um... I'm in over my head, and not one of us in here is exempt from that phone call that puts us in the deep end. Not, not one of us in here is exempt from the phone call that just changes everything in an instant. Like you feel pushed in to the pool. Has anybody ever been pushed into a swimming pool? Like you're walking along, and then all of a sudden, you're wet. You, know, you didn't see it coming. If, if you were in the deep end, you're, you're swallowing water. We have a rule in our house, no pushing into the swimming pool, although I push the kids in. And my wife pushes me in. So I guess it's just don't push Marson. Um, but I break that rule too. Uh, but, but, it, but it happens. Like life is in a routine. It's normal. You're going along minding your business. And then all of a sudden, you notice a lump. Or there's a car accident. Or your spouse tells you they've met someone else. Or you go to work and your boss tells you, 
pack up your office. And all of a sudden, it's deep end time. And we're we're trying to make sense of it. Like, God, how could you let this happen? Where are you, God? Why is this happening? How could you allow it to happen? And, And the question we want to get to this morning is, in the midst of life where trouble will happen, where that kind of stuff happens, how are we supposed to view it? How are we supposed to make sense of it? How are we supposed to have peace in the midst of it? And how do we have joy despite it? Now, not happiness. Nobody's, nobody's happy when those things happen. But how do we have like an unshakable joy despite the troubles that come our way? And if you've been in church world long enough, we can kind of jump to the answer too quickly of saying, well, have faith without really understanding what that means. And if you've been in a situation where someone's tried to console you with that, like, well, just have faith. You might have politely smiled and kind of thought, what does that mean? And how does that really help? Does it mean that my cancer is going to go away? No, not necessarily. Does it mean that my spouse is going to repent and return? No. Does it mean that I'm going to get my job back? No. Well, then what does faith do? Like, how does it help? And in chapter 3 of Habakkuk, we get to see this. We get to see Habakkuk's faith getting lived out or getting expressed. And it's, it's extremely helpful for us because we get to see the real thing in a real situation and see how faith does make a real difference. It changes everything without really changing anything. It, it changes us without changing our situation. Um, so let's do a, a quick recap, and we can kind of get a running start into chapter 3. And if you haven't been with us through the series, we'll kind of catch you up. Let me give you some context. Josiah, we'll back it up to where Josiah is king. Um, Israel split. There's Israel in the northern kingdom. There's Judah in the southern kingdom. Israel really didn't have any good kings. Judah had some good kings. One of the good kings was Josiah. Now, Josiah became king, when get this, when he was eight years old. Now, I've had an eight-year-old, and I got a seven-year-old, and I can't imagine a kingdom when they were in charge. It's like candy for dinners, no bath night. I don't know how (laughs) Judah functioned during his early years, but we do know that Judah was a great king. Um, He was kind of a reformer. He led revival. A contemporary of his was Jeremiah, and they led revival in Judah. Like, they brought people back to God. Last week, Tim said, think of Mayberry. You know, things are going well. The sheriff doesn't even carry a gun. That's what's going on in Judah. And there's uh, some other big players around them. There's Assyria, uh, there's, there's Babylon, and they're kind of on the rise. Assyria's kind of on the downslide. And then there's Egypt. And Egypt, their pharaoh was Necho. And Necho wanted to march his army to Assyria. Now, we don't know why, but he did. And he wrote a letter to Josiah saying, hey, I want to bring my guys through. We're headed to Assyria. And Josiah said, nah, I don't want that. You know, go around. Which Nico is kind of like, I wasn't really asking permission. <laughs> You're Judah, I'm Egypt. Like, this is a, a courtesy thing. So he's like, we're coming anyways, right? And Josiah's like, I'm not having it. So he goes braveheart on it. He's like, we're going to go out and meet him in battle. And he, as a good king, I, I think it's awesome, doesn't sit on top of the hill watching the army. He dresses like a soldier and he gets in the action. Well, in that fight, they kill Josiah. So his son, Jehoiahaz, becomes king. He's not a very good king, but he doesn't last long. So Necho and the Egyptians continue on to Assyria. They do whatever they're going to do in Assyria. And then on the way back, he stops. Necho takes Jehoiahaz prisoner, makes his brother king, which I I don't remember his name, but Necho gave him a different name, like Jehoiakim, and he made him king. 
And he's worse than his brother. So now you have a bad king. The nation's kind of crumbling. They watch their good king die. And everything's unraveling. And it's just like Judah gone wild. And it's, it's wickedness. And people have turned away from God. And this is where Habakkuk is. He, he remembers the good old days. And he cries out to God. And this is where the book picks up. And it, I'll give you the whole book in a nutshell. But you've got to promise to pay attention to the whole thing, okay? Um, what happens is Habakkuk cries out to God and he says, God, you see what's going on? You've got to do something. And God says, I'm going to do something. I'm going to send the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. Which Habakkuk says, oh, no, no, you wouldn't do that. And God says, oh, yes, I am. And then they're singing. And that's the whole book. And we're going to get to the singing part today. So the last chapter is a song. And the issue in this book is how can a just and holy God do business with the Babylonians against Judea? Yeah, because they're... They're wicked people. I know Judah's bad, right? But these people are worse. Now, how can you do business with them against us? I mean, if you're in the business of using wicked people, why don't you use us to beat them? (laughs) You could see their frustration. But he's using them to beat us. Just think about this. If God gave victory to the Babylonians over Judah, doesn't that kind of mean he likes them better than he likes us? Because they're winning and we're losing. And you may come to that conclusion if all you see is this isolated incident. But what was, what was the main verse in chapter 2? It's like the most famous verse to come out of Habakkuk 2.4. It says, what the righteous shall what? Live by faith. It's like you can't only see that isolated period of time. Don't, don't only look at it. Faith makes us look at a much bigger picture, right? It's like you've got, you got to factor in the bigger picture here. And that's the shift we see in Habakkuk in chapter 3. And then, well, we'll kind of press into this and move on. But let me ask you, do you live by faith? Not do you believe in God, but do you live by faith? Does your faith in God shape your life? Does it shape how you spend time? Does it shape how you spend money? Does it shape what you think is right or wrong? Does it shape, give me, does it shape how you react when things don't go well. I mean, let's say your life just goes all Job and you lose your family and you lose your home and you lose your job and you lose your health. What does faith do with that? This book is really similar to the book of Job. And just real quick snapshot of Job. Job was a man behind the scenes. We read it in the book. He knows nothing about it. But Satan comes to the throne room of God and basically accuses Job. He says, look, the only reason Job is so faithful is because you're so good to him. If he had any problems, if there was any suffering in his life, um, he would would turn from you like that. So God allows him to kind of press on Job. And Job loses his kids. He loses his home. He loses his crops. He loses his health. And he's got questions, right? He's got questions now. And even his friends are coming at him and it's like, what did you do? I mean, God must be upset at you. What did you do? She's like, I didn't do anything. I don't know. I don't know why this is happening. Even his wife is like, you need to curse God and die. I mean, just throw in the towel. And he he cries out to God, like, why is this happening? And it's amazing because in the end of the book, God answers Job. And he doesn't, you would think God would say, "Well, well, let me tell you. I mean, Satan came at me sideways. He was saying this about you. Let me explain the situation. But he doesn't. He, he just says, who is this that questions me that doesn't know anything? Well, let, let me question you. 
Were you there when the foundation of the earth were laid? Right? Did, did you tell lightning to strike? Did you separate the stars? I mean, he just kind of lays out God credentials for a whole chapter. And Job is just like, I tap. I mean, my bad. I'll shut up. Forget it. Like, forget I even brought it up. And God in his mercy is like, no, 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 I'm not done yet. Put on your big boy pants. And he goes on for another chapter of just laying it on Job. And, and it, the point is he never answers the why. It's just like, Job, you're in a need-to-know position. And, and you, what you need to know is I'm God. Right? And, and he gets a heavy dose of God. Well, the concern for Job, the issue in Job is, is the concern about justice when the righteous suffer. For Habakkuk, the concern is about justice when the wicked prosper. In both cases, God's not fitting into their box. You ever feel like that? Like, God, you're doing things I don't, I don't have answers for. You're, you're, you're doing things that I can't sit down and easily explain. Like, if you could run the universe at a third grade level, that would help, right? But you are beyond me. And there's frustration in that. Well, in both cases, Job and Habakkuk, they find a way of, of having peace in the midst of their situations. And, and, and listen to this. It's not, not by completely understanding the why, but by getting a good look at the who. I mean, for, for two chapters, Job just gets showered with God credentials. And last week, Tim pointed out to us, what does Habakkuk do when he's frustrated and confused? He steps back and he says, what do I know about God? He's eternal, he's faithful, he's holy. In both cases, they, they find peace not in the why but of the who. And they realize, though, even though I'm frustrated with this, right? Even though I'm frustrated with why did I lose my family? Why did I lose my health? Why did I lose my home? I don't get this. Or why are the Babylonians coming? Why, why would God do that? I don't, I'm f- confused and frustrated about this. They realize God is, is this. And even though I don't get this, it, it fits into here and God's over it. And he's in it, so I'm just going to go with it, right? Like you have a choice anyways. It's happening, right? But your perspective of it will either make you bitter or, or, or give you a song to sing about. And we see a complete attitude change in Habakkuk from the beginning of the book uh, to the end of the book. We see it starts out with basically Habakkuk telling God, hey, you need to do something, Right? To where God says, I'm going to do something. Then Habakkuk's like, no, 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 don't do it that way. <laughs> like God works for Habakkuk. And then at the end, we get this joyful surrender from Habakkuk because of faith. It's like, look, you're God, I'm not. And God's going to do what God's going to do, and it's going to be godly. And I'm going to let this unfold. Um, so we get to chapter 3, and the first two chapters are kind of this exchange between God and Habakkuk. And then chapter 3 is a song that Habakkuk singing. It's kind of his response, and it shows his perspective, which really can shape us. Uh, so verse 1, Habakkuk chapter 3. says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to the Shiganoth, which is like a type of song or a stringed instrument. Um, this whole chapter is a song. We won't, we won't sing it. Um, but the whole chapter is a song. And, it, and it's interesting. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll read some of the song. So it says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. It's like, I know your stories. I know what you've done. I, I've heard how you worked in history, and it's amazing. You, you have got my attention. In the midst of the years, revive it. And this is, this is a prayer we all pray, right? Like, I've heard about parting of the seas. I've heard about the plagues. I've heard about the miraculous things you've done. If you could do that for me in my situation, 
That would be great. Like those amazing things we read about, I'd like to see it. I'd, I'd, like, you, I'd like to see it. So it's revive those. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. I know you're coming, and I know we deserve it, but go easy on us. And he says, God came from Teman and on the Holy One from Mount Paran. This is like southern Palestine or a little further south where God formed his people. And then it says Selah, which basically, if, I mean, remember, this is song, so there's like breaks in song. But literally, it's, it's saying stop and think. And then we'll go on. We'll press on. It says, his splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. What, is that? what story does that remind us of? Plagues. You'll get points. I'll give you points. Yeah, yep, the exodus. Okay. He stood and measured the earth, and he looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion and affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on horses or on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. Selah, like stop and think here. Like our God can punch, right? He's, he's got an arrow and, he, and a bow and he can use it and he's ready to use it. Now this is a corporate song. At the end it addresses the choir master and, I, and you just picture being led away captive by the Babylonians singing this song. A little bit of early trash talking. One interesting thing about this song is the general flow of the whole song is very similar to Marduk's praise song. And Marduk um, was Babylonian's main god. And Habakkuk's song is all about the power of the real god. So I think this is hilarious. But it's like Habakkuk wrote a song about the power of our god to the tune of their national anthem. Let's sing this while you take us captive. Because you're winning here, but let, let me tell you about this God who has done these things. I mean, it's just, it's just a huge perspective shift. We'll, we'll read on. It says, you split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and withered. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. What story does that remind us of? Joshua, yep, he's like, I need more time to get these people. God's like, all right, son, stand still. He had more time. The light of your arrows as they sped, the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people. For the salvation of your anointed, you crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying them bare from thigh to neck. Selah. <laughs> Stop and think about it. Like, my God will cut you open. Imagine this song on Caleb, right? <laughs> we'll sing this, right? Safe for the whole family. All right, he said, You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. This is quite a resume, right? I mean, he's talking about all the things that God has done. I mean, you, you make mountains scared. 
You part rivers. You make the sun stand still. You bring plagues. You, you are a powerful God. And don't miss this because this song is huge attitude change for Habakkuk. In chapter 1, Habakkuk was all about God. You don't do anything. You're idle. Like, like you're not active. Why aren't you doing something? You got to like, get off your seat and you've got to do something to my situation. Well, in chapter 3, the whole song is about stuff God's doing, about the activity of God. Because Habakkuk's looking here, and it's like, I don't see God moving. But when he steps back and sees this, it's like, you're a busy God. Like, you are up to stuff, and you are active. And, and it's really important if, if this is worth writing down, kind of an application. But when you are frustrated with what you feel God is not doing, like you're not stopping the Babylonians, you're not curing my cancer. You're not bringing my spouse to repentance. You're not providing employment. When you are frustrated with the things that God is not doing, it's good to step back and be reminded of what God is doing. For you have formed a people, and you are pursuing your people, and you've communicated through your prophets and your word and your son. You've been a sacrifice for sin. You've sent your Holy Spirit, and you've woken me up to who you are. And you may not be doing what I want, when I want, and how I want it, but you're God and I'm not. And you are up to something. You are, you are active. And, and no matter what your circumstances are, if we, would, if we would take time to do that, if we would take time to, to stare at God and kind of review his resume, like you laid the foundations of the earth. You hung the stars. You tell it when to lightning and where to lightning. Like you're in charge of all that. You put the moon in its place. I tell Johnny, my, my middle daughter, I said, Johnny, you were loved by the God who made both roses and great white sharks, right? <laughs> Which is like, it's beautiful, but don't mess, right? I mean, you need, you need to step back and review the credentials of God. And you will become preoccupied with God. You remember the song, um, we, we sing it every now and then, it's Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. How, how's that go? It's like, do you want me to sing? I'm not going to sing. Just turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light. Yeah, 8.30 was much better. But it will <laughs> give you grace, right? We look into his wonderful face. And the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's what's happening. Like Habakkuk's got real problems. Babylonians are coming and they're going to kill him. But he turns his attention to God's resume and the character and the nature of God. And in that, he finds peace. Does the circumstances change? No. D does he change? Yeah, you bet. Because his focus went from this to this. Let's, let's keep reading. Verse 16. It says, I hear and my body trembles. I hear what? I hear the, the word of the Lord. I hear what's coming. I hear the Babylonians are on their way. I hear that and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Habakkuk knows the Babylonians. He knows their tactic. He knows what's coming. Like, they're coming in, and they come in swinging. And it is not going to be pretty. 
And there's some, there's some fear here. Like Habakkuk just got pushed into the deep end. Like he was in a normal routine of life, and he gets this word, this is coming, and, and he's in the deep end, and he's trying to make sense of it. And when, when he kind of gets the picture, he says, I'm trembling. My body trembles. My lips quiver. You ever see a kid or an adult even try to fight back the tears and their lips starts moving? That's what's happening. Like I'm trying to fight back the tears. I know it's coming, and I'm scared. It is not fun. And I love that he says this. I love that he says this because this is, this is not about getting some Christian cliche answer that ignores how awful it is. It is bad. I'm going to die. I know what's coming. The Babylonians are coming to get me, and it is awful. I'm shaken. But, my God... It's bigger. Cancer is awful. But God is bigger. Losing a kid would be horrific. But God is bigger still. Losing your employment when you watch other people who don't follow God get ahead would be extremely frustrating. But God is bigger still. And when you look at the injustice in our world, you think of things that just make you angry, like child sex trafficking. You think, where are you, God, and how can you let this happen? God is bigger, and that's not the end of the story. And here's what I love about this. This is not about making light of your circumstances. This is about making much of God. Your circumstances may just be terrible and hurting, hurtful. But what he's saying is God is bigger. The Babylonians are coming, and it's awful. But my peace is not in that. My peace is in a God who is much bigger than my circumstances. Habakkuk is frustrated. He's scared. He's trembling. And then he says this, the bottom of verse 16. Yet I will quietly wait. And I love that word, quietly. There's There's a peace about it. Like, there's nothing quiet about this situation. This situation is chaos. But Habakkuk in it is quiet. He's at peace. He says, I will quietly wait. Wait for what? Wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. I will quietly wait, which means he's waiting, which means he believes something is coming, and he can't see it. His circumstances don't imply it. What is it? It's, it's faith. I'm not living by the things that I see. I'm living by the things I don't see. I'm not functioning on this story. I'm functioning on, on this story. It's faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, we talked about last week, tells us this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not, what? Seen. seen. seen yeah. 2 Corinthians 5.7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Right? We walk by faith, not by sight. Now, this gets practical. This gets practical. This is like faith real world because I'm being told one thing and I see another thing, right? I'm told that we are your people, but I see the Babylonians coming, right? I'm told that you work all things for your glory and the good of those who love you. And I love you, but what I see is unemployment, right? 
I'm being told one thing and I see another thing. I mean, it's like, are you telling me that what I believe should trump even what I see? Like even what's happening, what I can witness right in front of me? Yes. Yes. And the righteous people live that way. We, we, we live by faith, not by sight. And this means that our, our faith should be more real to us than our circumstances. Our faith needs to be more real to us than our circumstances. Sounds foolish. We got examples, a ton of examples. Remember, I think Tim referenced Noah last time when it comes to faith. Great children's story, right? God wiping out the earth. <laughs> there's a boat, there's rainbows, animals, so it works. But God's like, you need to, you need to build a boat. Really? Because what I see is no water. Right? What happens? Yeah. Water comes, flood happens, built the boat. God goes to Abraham. He's like, you're going to have a son. Really? Because what I see is an old lady, right? Well, even, even she was laughing about that. Like, it ain't happening, you know? What happens? I have a son, right? Exodus. Like, we were told that we would be set free. And you did a lot of amazing things. I mean, I saw plagues and frogs and all kinds of crazy stuff. And we got out of there. And what you told me was we were going to be free. But now what I see is Pharaoh's army behind me in the Red Sea in front of me. Like, told one thing, see one thing. What happens? Goes Charlton Heston on it, right? The Red Sea parts. We get it. Like, faith, circumstances, they're, they're colliding. You guys remember the 12 spies? Like, going up to spout the land? There's a song about it. Anybody remember the song, Sunday School? Twelve strong men went up to Canaan. Ten, nobody? Just like to leave me hanging with <laughs> Sunday School people? I give anybody points if you can get it. You can get five points. Points at church. You go to the commons, cash them in. <laughs> Let me tell you the story. So they send out 12 spies to go spy out this land. That God told them that I'm going to give it to you. And they go up and they see in the land, it's like there's like giants in the land. Right? They make us look like grasshoppers. And ten of them said that. Two of them said otherwise. They were Joshua and Caleb, and they said, well, God told us that the land's ours, so let's, let's go do it. So what do you do? I, I see giants in the land. God told us it's our land. What do you do? Well, they decided to go to democracy and have a vote. Right? So ten said no, two said yes. So God says, all right, I'll tell you what I'll do. Why don't you walk around and tell your dad and then I'll do it with your kids, right? Because I'm going to live by sight and not by faith. We, 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 it's, it's, it's intention. It's, it's messy. And there's examples all throughout Scripture. Samuel goes to David, right, to anoint David to be king. Really? Because what I see is Saul's still king. I'm the youngest in my family, and I'm a shepherd. What happens? King David. How about Jesus? He's the Messiah, right? Really? Because what I see is some girl who got pregnant before she got married, ran off with a poor carpenter, and had a son in a barn. What happens? Yeah. Feeds people, heals people, raises from the dead, like Messiah-type stuff. Like our faith needs to be more real than our circumstances. So, so what God says trumps what you see. Because there's going to be times with, when what you see doesn't line up with what God says. And it's like, I don't feel like you love me. I don't feel like you're with me. I don't, I don't feel like you're in control. But what God says trumps what, even what we see. I mean, righteous people live that way. Listen, our, our circumstances are now. It's like what's in front of us at the moment. It's what we see. I see the Babylonians coming. I see a scary doctor report. 
I see strife in my marriage. I see rebellious kids. I see unemployment. Like, these are my circumstances. It's what's in front of me. But faith is a much bigger picture. We can't see the big picture with our eyes, right? We see this with our eyes. This is like what's, what I'm dealing with. We don't, we don't see the grand story with our eyes. That's why I say, he's saying don't live by sight. Don't, don't shape your life. Don't make choices based on only what your limited perspective can see. You need to let the, the big picture shape your life. You need to make choices and reactions based on this story, not just the circumstance that I see. Are you tracking with me? Give me a nod or something. All right, we'll keep moving. You can, you can do that. So if you're a note taker, here's, here's, the, here's the point. Faith puts problems into context. Our faith puts problems in context. You need to see your situation in the grand story of God. You have this problem, see it in this story. Habakkuk's got this problem. The Babylonians are coming, and they're going to take us captive. They're going to kill us. And he puts it in the context of a God who has formed his people, who has sent plagues to deliver his people, who has shook mountains and parted rivers for his people, who has stopped the sun for his people. He put it in the context of a God who knows how to care for his people. Sometimes we... We don't see the big picture. Like, we tend to isolate things and, and see things out of context. And when we do, it ends up being a little bit bigger deal than maybe it should be. We see this with kids or, or teenagers. You punish them. It's, it's the end of the world. They're, I mean, they're devastated. Or maybe, maybe you've had a teenager in your house that's gone through a breakup. And it's painful to them. I mean, the pain is real. It's what, it's what they know. And they're hurting and and usually the reaction is big, partly because the perspective is small. It's like, I only know 16 years of living, and this, is, this broke my 16-year-old heart. This has devastated my 16-year-old world. But as a parent or somebody who's lived longer, you come alongside and you think, look, I know, I know it hurts. But believe me, life goes on, right? This, this will pass. Chances are you may not even remember this. It, it'll get better. We, we offer a bigger perspective to it. And as adults, we think we have a big enough perspective. But there's a time when Jesus was teaching, and he challenged even our perspective. One time he was teaching, and he said, don't fear those who can kill the body, and after that, do no more. It's like he said, relax, what's the worst they can do, kill you? <laughs> yes, that would fall in the bad category. I mean, that would be like, <laughs> it would be stressful. He says, it's not, from his perspective, he's saying, it's not like the end of the world. <laughs> in my world... But he goes on to say, he says, I will tell you who to to fear. Fear the one who can kill you and then cast you into hell. Now, he just opened up a completely bigger picture. He's saying there is so much more to life than just this life. Like Habakkuk, don't don't be afraid of the Babylonians. I mean, I know it's scary, but don't, don't fear them. What's the worst they can do, kill you? Maybe capture you, pull your toenails off and do that. But, But then what, kill you, right? That, that's just this and this. Right? Like, like, put that in context. And I, I don't want to sound insensitive because I am, I am blown away by the compassion of our Savior to relate to things that we, we deal with and to weep with those who weep. But sometimes I wonder if God looks at our trials the same way we might look at a teenager's breakup. Like, I, I know it hurts. I, I know you're devastated. But believe me, 
this will pass. And there's so much more ahead of you. I, I, I know that that bad news from the doctor that said it was terminal, I know it hurts. And I know you're devastated. But it'll pass. And there is so much more ahead of you. Like faith gives us the bigger picture, not the picture we see. Faith makes us function in a bigger story. Faith says there is a God who loves us and has created us, and we've rebelled against him, but he is pursuing us all the way to the cross to redeem us. And in this story, there's a heaven and a hell at the end. And because of my rebellion, I deserve hell, and you deserve hell. And the only way we'll have eternity with God is because of the grace of God and the sacrifice of Christ. And when we put our problems into that story, into that context, here's what we realize. No matter how bad we suffer in this life, it's always less than what we deserve in the big picture. Amen? Amen. Faith puts problems into context. Look, this this book, this, this Bible, is not just a bunch of sayings and stories so you can have your best life now. Does it talk about life now? You bet. Marriage, money, wisdom, read it. But more than that, this book puts all of life into context. We we are fallen people living in a fallen world, and fallen world type stuff is going to happen. We're also in the midst of a God who's redeeming his people. And until we get that, hear me now, until we get that, you will live your life out of context. And the problems you face in this world will own you. We can tend to be nearsighted people if we're honest. We see what we want right in front of us, and we tend not to live beyond that perspective. We want things now. We want success now. We want happiness now. We want to be delivered now. I want help now. And when it doesn't come now, we begin to even question God. Like, are you still there? Are you in control? Do you care for me? Listen, life isn't about just right now, despite what Pepsi commercials tell us. There's so much more beyond that. And and Paul completely understood this. You don't have to turn there, but let me read uh, the end of Philippians. This is in chapter 4. He's in prison writing this, and he says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And that was so true of Paul, right? You could not shake him. Like, beat him, drag him outside your city for dead. What's he do? He gets up and goes back in. Jail, shipwreck, bitten by a snake, you know, whipped beaten, imprisoned. I mean, Paul was, he was good because here, here's what he says. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. You guys are going to learn a secret. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then there's the famous verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? It's like, I'm, hey, if things are good, I'm good. If things are bad, I'm still good. Put me in prison, okay, I'll tell the prisoners about Jesus, right? I'm out of prison, I'm going to go tell people about Jesus. I mean, you just could not rattle Paul. Judah's good, I'm good. Babylonians are coming, I got peace about that too. Right? Because Paul, Paul had the secret, he said, I learned the secret, because Paul put, by faith, his life in context. Earlier in the book, I think it's 121, he says, and you might know this verse, to live is Christ, to die is Paul sees the big picture. 
Like, what's the worst, what's the worst you're going to do to me? Kill me? And go be with Jesus. Like, he saw the big picture. And that's the attitude in, in chapter 3 we now see in Habakkuk. It's like things are getting bad. And I have a peace about it. Let's read on verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. He's saying things are bad, and they're getting worse, right? Not only is there no fruit on the tree, there's no blossoms. Like there's no harvest next year either. They're bad now, and they're going to get worse. This is what he says. Yet I will rejoice in what? The circumstances? No, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And get this, this is a salvation that won't come in Habakkuk's lifetime. To see that and to to claim salvation, he has to see the big picture. That's not happening here. That that salvation is happening here. This is going to be really bad. This is good news. Uh, you you got to get this, otherwise you wasted your time here. you got to understand this. How could Habakkuk sing us? Because this whole chapter is a song, right? How could Habakkuk sing at a time like this? He's not singing about this. He's singing about this, right? How, how could Paul endure the things that he endured in his life? Because he knows that he's not living for this. He's living for this, right? Remember Jesus in, in the wilderness when he's being tempted by Satan? Like, how could he resist that? Satan's like... Let's skip the whole cross thing. Just bow down now and you could be king right now. How, how does he resist that? Because here's his perspective. I didn't come to be king of this. I'm king of this, right? Faith puts our, our problems into context. Let's, let's tie a bow on this. Verse 19. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Here's what he's saying. It's, it's going to get rocky, but God will equip me for it. I'm going in the deep end, but my father is in there, and he's standing. And he completely shifts his focus from tough circumstances to a big God. Right? This is about you. This is about God. Dwelling on this is going to make you discouraged and depressed and self-centered, and it leads to whining and complaining. Dwelling on this sets you free and gives you peace and gives you a song. And he has just an attitude of dependence on God in this hard time. And maybe for you, you're in the midst of it now. And it's, it's awful. Whatever it is for you, maybe it's medical, maybe it's physical, maybe it's employment, maybe it's relational. It's, it's awful. And I don't want to make light of your circumstances, but I do want to make much of God. Because as bad as this is, be encouraged. Because this fits into this. And this is where God has formed a people and sent plagues to rescue them and parted rivers and moved mountains and made the sun stand still for the forming of his people and ultimately the coming of his son to be a sacrifice for sin. And it is in this that he will return and wipe every tear from our eye and we will be with him forever. 
So no matter how bad this is, you have a song because of this. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word and your truth and how it comforts us no matter what our circumstances are. I pray for the hurt that's in this room, and I know that it's real and it's painful. But Father, by your truth, we declare that you're bigger than that. And I pray that we find comfort knowing your story. And no matter what our situation is, we have a song because of you. Praise your name. Amen.